Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. Open once again your Bible to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, as we'll read this passage again, beginning in verse 9. Now remember, in our context, Jesus had said, uh, if you're going to be my disciple, they need to forsake themselves, take up the cross, and follow him. And then Jesus led them. After saying that he was going to die, he says, take up your cross and follow me. But then he leads Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain. And there he is transfigured, and his glory shines through his flesh, if you will. That's the way I'm going to try to describe that. They saw a glimpse of the real glory of Jesus as he's there with uh, Moses and with Elijah. And of course now they are coming down from the mountain. They've seen these things. Peter spoken out of ignorance, out of fear. And Jesus, or God, speaks out of a cloud and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then we pick up in verse 9. And as they came down from the mountain... He, being Jesus, charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first, and restoreth all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things, but be said it not. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed or wanted, as it is written of him. Let's pray again. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and give us understanding. This morning, Father, that you would clear up the confusion, uh, just as you sought through your Son to clear up some confusion with the disciples, that when we are confused, when we are doubting, that you would clear, or when we are uh, struggling to understand, that you would clear up our confusion, that we would continue to follow you, that we would continue to listen to you and continue to serve you. Help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to bring this message this morning, clearing up the confusion. You know, there's times that we're confused about things. There was times the disciples were confused about things. And there is certainly time and times when God is ready and able to clear up our confusion. And I want us to Look at this as Jesus cleared up some confusion in this place and turn our attention to where it ought to be turned 
for God to clear up any confusion that we may have. You know, God had given a clear call as I was sharing just before I began to read. He said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Number one, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Put, in other words, put down what is not important. We shared that a few weeks ago. And then take up your cross. In other words, pick up that which is necessary, that is important, that is critical, that is eternal. Put down the temporal things, pick up the eternal things, and follow me. That was number three, was follow me, follow Jesus. The disciples largely answered that call. Peter, James, and John certainly followed Jesus up into a high mountain. Now, I want to clear up something right, right, very quickly. You may not have caught this last week, but I did, even though I had it in my notes. Uh, and, and there is some confusion or some uh, different people differ on where Mount Transfiguration was. If you look it up in the Internet, you say, where was Mount Transfiguration? Mount Horeb which is what I said last week, and I actually had in my notes, I don't believe it was Mount Horeb, it was Mount Herman. So why is that important? I'm going to get to that in just one second. But uh, I misspoke, and so I'm going to clear that up. I believe it was Mount Herman. The reason I believe that is Mount Horeb was not a high mountain, number one. Uh, and number two, at the time this took place, Mount Horeb actually had some man-made structures on it, and where they went, they were isolated. And, and Mount Horeb was more of a what we would call a hill than it would be. Mount Horeb would be kind of like Six Mile Mountain. It wasn't a high mountain. It just was a protrusion in the earth, and it was flat all around. Well, good morning. But Mount Herman was the highest mount in the region. It also was, would have been in line with where they're coming back from in the previous verses, and so therefore it's probably geographically more correct, but also it was a high mountain. The reason I bring this up is because, number one, if you looked at your Sunday school lesson, Jesus was taken up on a high mountain or a very high mountain by the devil. And scholars who agree with me that Mount Transfiguration took place on Mount Hermon also believe that Mount Hermon was where the devil took him up to. And so I think it's just interesting to me that both places we're looking at, it was in the same area. Is that overly significant as far as what we're going to talk about this morning? No, but one, I wanted to clear up a, a misspeaking last week. But two, I just find it interesting how Scripture ties together. But they followed him up on Mount Hermon, and they saw Jesus, and they followed him up, so they obeyed, and then they saw him transfigured, and they also heard God confirm that Jesus was God's Son and to listen to him. You know, some of the greatest spiritual moments you are going, that we see throughout all the Bible takes place. In, as we said last week, in isolated areas or being alone with God or in high places. And in our lives, oftentimes it's when we're alone with God and we've gotten isolated with Him that we have some of the greatest revelation or some of the greatest growth that takes place is when we get away just with God. 
following him, spending time with him alone. Peter and James and John, now following Mount Transfiguration, had a greater understanding of Jesus. That doesn't mean they had a perfect understanding of Jesus because they're still asking questions among themselves and then to Jesus. They didn't understand everything. But as we get along with him, as we listen to him, as we surrender ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, we will have a greater understanding. We will have a greater appreciation. We will grow, as we're instructed to in the Bible, to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's when we sacrifice ourselves and lay down that which is not necessary and take up that which God says is needed, that we grow as we ought to. But what do we do when we struggle to understand? What, would we, what do we do when we, we, we have questions about what his will or his purpose or his instructions are for us? Or something that happens in our lives and we just don't understand. What do we do? That's what I want to talk about this morning. The disciples here had questions. In fact, let me just jump to the end for a moment, if I could, and cover the two questions they had. Or two things that Jesus clears up, I should say. They had two questions. One was about the rising from the dead. What does that mean? We see them, verse 10, saying to themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And then question number two is they ask, what does it mean that Elias, or that's Elijah, must come first? Must come first. Now the issue in their two questions is this, and this applies to us. Question number one, what does it mean that Jesus has to rise from the dead? Again, earlier, not just, just a week earlier, Jesus had said, I'm going to die and Peter pulled him apart and said, pulled him aside and said, Lord, that's not going to happen. Stop talking that way. Because he didn't understand. And now they still don't understand. But notice they don't ask Jesus. And they don't ever get that answered. At least not then. In fact, we know that they don't ever get it answered until Jesus rises from the dead because it says after his resurrection, as we talked about on Easter, that they did not yet understand the saying that Jesus must rise from the dead. So they didn't get an answer to the first question because they didn't ask Jesus. But the second question they do, because they ask Jesus. And so I want to touch on the, que the second question for a moment and clear up some confusion about a few things that Jesus was clearing up from them. They said, why, does the, why do the scribes say that Elijah has to come first? Talking about before the kingdom of God can be established. Why do they say that? Well, number one, understand, again, this is where tying Scripture in together, we look at this and they say, wait a minute, they weren't even talking about Elijah had to come first. So why are they even asking this question? Well, the disciples, being good Jews, 
would have been taught all their lives and heard the prophecies of the Old Testament or the First Testament. And it was in Malachi, the last words that we get coming from God before there's a 400-year silence. And it, so therefore, I want you to turn with me to the book of Malachi. Turn back two books to the book of Malachi. And you're going to look in chapter 3. This is why they're saying, why the scribes? Well, they're saying, this, in other words, it's really the prophets, but why was it written? And they're referring to Malachi, that it says in 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord, whom ye, shall, who ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And then look over in 4. So there's a messenger that's going to come first. And then in chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The last thing that God said before the 400-year silence in between Malachi 4 and Matthew 1, or Luke 1, however you want to look at that, the story of Jesus' birth, was that Elijah would have to come first. But the question came because... Well, John the Baptist, some thought he was Elijah, but he said he wasn't Elijah. John said, I'm, I'm not Elijah coming. So they were confused. And also they thought, well, if, if Elijah wasn't John the Baptist, then is the Elijah that we just saw, is that who's coming, the, the coming first, and now you can set up your kingdom. That's what they're asking. They're saying, okay, now, if that was him coming, so now you can set up your kingdom. You can see their confusion. I'm not sure what's going on here. John said it wasn't him. Now we've seen Elijah. Was, was that what, it, what Malachi was talking about? Was that what the scribes were talking about? And they were confused. Again, because G, John denied uh, that he was the physical embodiment of Elijah. And he was not the physical embodiment of Elijah. I believe that in Malachi, both those two places are talking about two different times. Malachi 3.1 is talking about John the Baptist. And when I say I believe, I believe Jesus makes it clear that I'm correct, that John the Baptist was the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. And we know that because it says over in the Gospels that John was sent to clear the way for the Lord. And John even says, Behold the Lamb of God. He was preparing, getting people ready for Jesus to come. And so therefore, Elijah was the coming, or I'm sorry, John the Baptist was the coming of Elijah. But Elijah said, No, I'm not him. Because, stay with me, in chapter 4, Elijah will have to come almost immediately before the Lord comes, and he comes before the great tribulation. Now, let me try to help you, because all that can be a little confusing in of itself. 
John the Baptist came the first came before John John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, came and prepared the way for Jesus to come. That was Malachi 3. He's preparing the path for Jesus to come. But Elijah would have to come again, the physical Elijah, because Elijah again was taken up in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire, as sometimes people say, but a whirlwind of fire was taken up before Elisha and never died. And most scholars believe that when we see in Revelation chapter 11, there are two witnesses that come, and most scholars believe one of them will be Elijah that will come and he will witness, and when he witnesses, and another person along with him, which some think Enoch, some think John the Apostle, some think we don't know for sure, but there's going to be two people that come. And they're going to witness, and through their witness, 144,000 Jews will come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's the 144,000 witnesses that we see, 12,000 from each tribe in Revelation. And they then will spread the gospel, and a multitude of people will be saved, but they come before great tribulation. Now the tribulation, understand this, before Jesus comes, you say, well, John the Baptist came before Jesus came the first time. Elijah will come before Jesus comes the second time. Understand, there's going to be two more appearings of Jesus before the end of the world. There's the appearing of Jesus in the clouds. That's the rapture. When we say the return of Jesus, that's not what we mean. Because when you talk about the, the second coming of Jesus or the return of Jesus, we're referring to, or scholars are referring to, when Jesus sets his foot on the earth. That will take place at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And so therefore, Jesus will come in the air. There will be a trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and those that are alive and remain, that are saved, will be caught up with him. Those that are, that, are, that are what we call the church, the believers, will be caught up with them and we will meet Jesus in the air, but people aren't going to see, he's not coming back down to earth then. He's coming to meet us and to call us and we're taken out and that is when the tribulation will begin, the seven year period. But the great tribulation is referring to the last three and a half years of that seven years. And so John the Baptist, I'm sorry, Elijah rather, will come in the middle of the tribulation period before Jesus comes back roughly three and a half years later. Uh, the word soon can be really deceiving. The word suddenly can also mean be deceiving. Uh, suddenly doesn't mean that it's going to happen right then. It just means quickly, in a, in a blink of the eye, uh, he will come. In, a, in an instant, he will come. But that's what is going on. Jesus is clearing up the confusion. He's making it clear. Both John the Baptist was Elijah in the fact that he prepared the way for Jesus to come the first time, but John the Baptist was not Elijah in body that will come before Christ is setting up his kingdom. Now, Jesus made it clear that doesn't mean the disciples necessarily were crystal clear. And sometimes when we read God's word, 
God can make things clear. That doesn't mean we're always crystal clear. That makes sense? Are we clear? <laughs> all right. Now here's the thing. I say all that to say this, because this is where we're at in the Bible. This is where we're at in the passage, and Jesus is clearing up their confusion, and I want you to understand what the, the confusion about John the Baptist or Elijah coming, it was a double prophecy. There's two different times. One, John certainly came in the spirit of Elijah, but not the body of Elijah, but the body of Elijah will come back. By the way, after they preach and after they witness, after they testify, the Antichrist will have them. Now, nobody will be able to kill them at first. Won't be able to harm them at first. You read in Revelation, we won't take time to do that this morning, but you read in Revelation, and he and the, or the two witnesses, let's just refer to them that way. I believe one of them will be Elijah. But the two witnesses will not be harmed by anybody until it's time and then the Antichrist will have them killed in the middle of the tribulation, and they will lay in the streets, and everybody will see them, and then they will be raised back up to life again, and they'll go back to heaven, and it will be a miracle. And through all that, many in the tribulation will be saved, including literally 144,000 Jews who will turn to be witnesses of the Lord in the tribulation period. Now I say all that to clear up this confusion and make it perfectly clear. I don't have time to clear up all the confusion, nor do I have all the answers. But I want to make it perfectly clear about this. There is nothing preventing the rapture from taking place now. Nothing has to happen before the rapture. In other words, Christ's coming when God says, Now, son, go. And there's going to be a trump of the archangel and then we're, the dead in Christ are going to rise. Their bodies are going to leave the grave. Will we see them float up in the sky? I have no idea. Will people see us float up in the sky? I have no idea. But all that were truly saved will be gone from this earth. And then the people, you say, well, what's going to happen? Again, this leads to into God allowing a great delusion or a lie will be believed that explains away what people saw or the people that are missing. But nothing has to happen. That can happen now. Nothing has to happen before that. There are some things that have to happen before the tribulation. There are things that have to happen before Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom on the earth. That is the seven-year tribulation. That is the peace treaty with Israel. That is the peace treaty three and a half years later being violated with Israel. And a host of other things have to take place that we read about in the book of Revelation. But you better be sure now that you are ready to meet your maker because whether it be through death or whether it be through the rapture, there is nothing preventing either one from happening in this moment. And if somebody wants to say amen to that, go right ahead. Because I'm telling you, we better believe that, we better understand that, and you better be ready for that. He could come today. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this. I don't have time. I have so many things. I'm almost out of time already. I thought this was going to be a short message, and every time I do that, I know not to say it because I know it's going to freak you out. But I'm telling you, there are so many things that I've been reading about taking place in the news. I just read a thing in the news, and I, I'm, I'm not going to dive all into it, basically, but talking about the money and the new, the, the secret or the non-publicized things about our currency 
being changed to digital dollars and, and how the government is going to control all that and you won't control anything. And this is stuff that is being signed and agreed to and, and things drawn up in our government in America now that are happening. The, the, the steps being paved to the time when the tribulation will... Now, we don't have to say, well, so we have to wait for all that to happen first. No. All that can unfold after the church is taken out. Because understand this, when the church, the Christians, are taken out, there'll be nothing to st stem the tide of evil and whatever the devil wants to do in this world. Nothing. Other than what God simply does not allow. But the Holy Spirit and the church will be gone and all that will be left initially will be only unbelievers. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? But the confusion was, why does John have to come? It was because John's going to come twice. And he says, surely, or, I'm sorry, Elijah. But J Jesus saying, John the Baptist was the first appearance of Elijah that you saw. That's why he had to come, and he has already come, and they rejected him just as they're going to reject the Son of Man. That was Jesus. They rejected John the Baptist just as they rejected Jesus Christ, or would reject Jesus Christ. So clearing up some confusion about that. But you say, well, okay, so the last part of this is I want you to see, and will be done, is this what do I is there any example then or any instruction here or pattern that I can follow when I don't understand or I have questions? We ought to have questions. When we read our word of God, we ought to have questions. That doesn't mean doubts, that doesn't mean lack of faith. But when I read the word of God, there are questions that come to mind. How's that going to take place? How does that correspond with this over here? Or what does that mean? We ought to have questions. It, it's, it's not just reading a news report. We're like, oh, okay, that happened. Okay. We ought to have questions. There are things that happen in this life that I can't explain. I don't understand why God allows certain things that he does other than the only answer I can give is that we live in a sin-cursed world, but why God lets one die and one he heals and, and cures from cancer, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. So what do we do when we don't know or we have a question or we're confused? Number one, keep following Jesus and keep listening to Jesus. We see this because here in Mark, we see that they went down from the mountain. With who? They were led by Jesus. The disciples didn't understand everything they had seen. The disciples didn't understand everything that they were told. Again, they still have questions about the resurrection. What does that mean? They didn't understand about Elijah, but they're still following Jesus. My friend, just because, just because we don't understand everything God is doing, just because we don't understand everything we read in God's word, don't stop following Jesus. When we don't understand, when things don't go our way, when we are confused, keep following Jesus so we can listen 
to Jesus. Number two, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid. I see this here because, number one, the disciples, meaning Peter, James, and John, are questioning and discussing amongst themselves. They're talking with each other. What does this mean? What do you think this means? Well, he said this, but what could that possibly mean? Now, again, why are they discussing that he must rise from the dead again? Because, if we looked over in Luke, as we did last week briefly, we saw that the conversation that was taking place between Jesus and Moses and Elijah was about Jesus dying and rising again. And they heard that. And so they heard Jesus say, I'm going to suffer and die. And now they're hearing them talk about him suffering and dying and rising again. And they're saying, what does this mean? As Christians, we ought to be talking to each other and discussing the things that we read in the Bible. Things that happen in life. Things that we see in the news and say, man, isn't this exciting? Because, you say, well, it's scary. Yes, but I know how it's going to end, and so therefore, isn't it exciting? And you might have one Christian that says, man, I'm a nervous wreck because of this. And then another Christian might say, but look at the Word of God and what it says. It's all going to be okay. We can encourage one another that way. We ought to be discussing these things. I've said this several times lately. I'll say it again. I love it when people ask me Bible questions. Not because I know all the answers, but because I just love the fact that that's where our minds are at, that we want to know. And then it drives me back to the Word of God so that I can dig in and try to find answers. Now, there are sometimes things that we are not meant to know, And we're not ever going to know, maybe one day when we get to heaven, but even then, I'm not sure that we're going to care. I've often, and I've said for a long time, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have lots of questions. I don't think I am. Not because I necessarily think I'm going to know everything, but I'm just not going to care anymore. Why did this happen to me? Why did I have to go through that? I know that sometimes I think that that might be what I'm going to get asked when I get to heaven. You know, the whole thing about why gnats and why mosquitoes and why fire ants and why did I go through this? And why did I go? But when I see Jesus face to face, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, I'm not going to think a lick about the things, that the troubles and the hardships that I went through. I'm not going to think a lick about the mosquitoes or the fire ants or the gnats or whatever else problems we had here on this earth. None. Do you understand that when we see Jesus, what our response is going to be? We're going to fall down and worship him. And he's, I think the way it's going to work is this. This is, this is uh, first moments in heaven with Jesus according to Jonathan. All right, This is nowhere in the Bible. Or well, the part about falling down before him, we see that as an example in Revelation. We see people doing that. I think that's what we're going to do. We're going to be speechless and not be able to say a thing except for holy, 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 and we're going to fall down. But this part, I think, is according to Jonathan. He then is going to pick us up, and that's when the hug takes place. He's going to pick us up and say, man, I'm so glad that you're here. And we're just going to weep and worship and laugh and celebrate. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, nothing that I ever deserved. And so therefore, we ought to ask questions. But really, we ought to ask questions of God, of Jesus. And by the way, when we're asking questions of one another, we ought to be pointing one another to the word of God. 
Because if we're not, we're not going to get the answers. If the answers are there to be had, we're not going to find them out if we're in our own logic and our own thinking and our own intelligence. We've, you know, the self-help books and the gurus and the counselors, everything else, all that is meaningless when it comes to the Word of God. Oh, my friends, back up what you believe with the Word of God. Answer the questions that you have with the Word of God. When people ask you questions, point to the Word of God. It was when they asked questions about each... Well, let me back up for one second. I'm almost done. But ask the questions as we read the Bible. Ask the questions as we experience life. Ask questions of each other. And of God. But let me go back to of each other for a second. Isn't it fascinating how we'll talk to each other? What do we talk to each other about? The weather, our health, sports, sales, TV shows, family, friends, work, politics. But how little do we discuss God's word? <clears throat> how little do we discuss God's word? And how much should we discuss God's word? So we ought to discuss it with each other, but also discuss it with God. I said that earlier, and I said it a moment ago, but they asked each other about the resurrection and had no answer. They asked about John the Baptist and received a greater understanding. Their confusion about John was cleared up. When you turn to God and you turn to His Word, you don't find opinion. You don't find uh, you don't find guessing. You find truth. Listen, the truth. I was discussing this with somebody the other day. You know, everybody has their own truth. No, I have the truth. I don't always follow the truth. I'm a human. I sin. I fail. I don't always give the right answer. But the right answer is here. As I said last week. God, Jesus, has something to say about everything. So discuss with God. Sometimes we get the idea, well, I'm not supposed to ask God these questions, or uh, this seems trivial. Nothing is trivial to God. You know, I, I've had people sometimes that they'll go to the doctor, or, or they'll go to the hospital, they'll get out, and... I'll find out. And they'll tell me, you know, kind of in passing. I'm like, well, why didn't, you know, I, I would have come and seen you in the hospital or I would have been praying for you, put you on the prayer. Well, I didn't want to bother you, preacher. It wasn't that big a deal. I understand that. It still drives me crazy, to be perfectly honest. I'd rather you tell me so I can pray and so I could come and show you that I love you and I care. But it, I understand some people are more private. I understand all that. People want to be respectful of my time. I get all that. But God has all the time. And nothing is trivial to God. I would say nothing's trivial to me. That, that probably is not entirely accurate. If you've got a hangnail and feel the need to call me and tell me about it, I'm going to be like, okay. But if you've got a spiritual hangnail or you've got something that happens rough, tell God. If it's bothering you, tell God. You're curious. Ask God. Talk to Him and find the answers. And by the way, keep asking until the answer is given. He will answer in his will, and he will answer in his time. What I mean by answering his will? Keep asking until, if you have a question, keep asking until he gives an answer. Now, his answer may be, I'm not going to tell you. 
But until he makes that clear to you, keep asking. Seek me and you will find me. Knock and the door will be opened. Listen, I know that, uh, that, uh, that is specifically about salvation, but it's also about things in life. Don't give up on seeking by, well, God didn't answer me today, so I'm done asking that. Keep on asking. There are some things that he does not mean for you to understand in this life, if ever. And we need to resign ourselves to the fact that sometimes that's just the answer. Just like when I tell my children, when they were younger in particular, because I said, that's it. But until he makes that clear, keep asking. Because the more you ask, and sometimes he wants, he doesn't tell you right away, or he doesn't make it perfectly clear to you, because he wants you to keep coming to him. If you had all the answers, you wouldn't come to him. If you had no fear, you wouldn't come to him. If you had no need, you wouldn't come to him. But keep on asking. Oh, my friends. Bottom line is, again, once again, when you have questions, when you have concerns, when you don't understand, don't stop following. But when you have questions and concerns, turn to the one with the answers. That's what the disciples did. They, they still didn't understand, but they kept on following. And what happened in the end? They understood. Oh, they still didn't understand everything, but they understood enough to spread the gospel throughout the whole world, and that's what matters, and that's what matters for you and me. They kept on serving, and when you have questions and concerns, listen, acknowledge I don't have all the answers, but he does. Let's look to him, and let's keep serving him today and tomorrow, and let the confusion be cleared up in God's time. Oh, God will answer. And when he does, he answers in truth. And when he does, he can make it perfectly clear. There are some things that it is clear that we are to do. We are to follow him. We are to walk by faith and believe in him. We are to tell others all about him and teach them how to be saved and then teach them what to do after they're saved. We're to love one another. We're to be kind to one another. We're to love our family. We're to love our friends. We're to love our enemies. Those things are clear. There's other things that may not be as clear, but keep asking, and he will give an answer. I pray that God will give an answer to your questions. If not today, I pray that you'll keep asking until he does. And one day, you won't have any more questions. We'll be with him. Whether he just answers them when we get there or we no longer care, one day or another, or today, that will be. Let's pray. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you.
Run this place, this place with